Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I'm Connie, along with future tooth fairy Meg. She's going to rip your heart out this week with the yogurt shop murders. Yeah, I am. But that being said, what's your go-to frozen yogurt topping? <laughs> um, I'm a classic. I like marshmallow, like liquid marshmallow. Marshmallow cream? Yep. I was like, I know liquid marshmallow, <laughs> liquid marshmallow, sprinkles, whipped cream, a cherry. That's it. I like gummy bears. No, nope. something about them getting like frozen and like kind of hard. I don't know. I like to like bite their little heads off. I feel like they're stale when they're like that. And I can't. <laughs> they're stale. Uh, did you know that if you eat the Haribo ones, the Haribo gummy bears, if you eat too many of them, you will get diarrhea. Like, yeah, that's the, a thing. The sugar-free ones, no matter how many you eat, apparently everyone stop what you're doing and go read the reviews for sugar-free gummy <laughs> bears on Amazon. Because, bow, right? Yeah. They're insane. And oh, that's probably why Like, I don't. I found out the hard way, everyone, just so you know. Uh, but I also had to Google the, what the difference between like frozen yogurt and ice cream is because it's just so convincing. I'm like, this is definitely just ice cream. I prefer gelato. You know, I... If you're about to say you've never had it, I'm just going <laughs> to... I have had gelato, but only out of like a carton. Like I've never no. had like legit... It is the creamiest, most delicious thing. And I would eat 17 gallons of it right now if I could. Okay. And go to sleep. And I don't care how much turning 30 has given me a dairy sensitivity. I would still do it. <laughs> still do it. It's, kind it's, of best. A, it's kind of a light intro yeah. to this case that I'm covering today. But we need the lightness because this one is brutal. Um, and I will also warn that this is a cold case for 25 years this year. Um, the main book I read by Beverly Lowry is called Who Killed These Girls? And it is so frustrating to read. I just kept getting mad. Like being like, ah, I'll finish this later. Ah. Uh, and we're going to talk about why it's frustrating. But here are your trigger warnings. Uh, rape, sexual assault of minors, murder, arson, uh, general disregard for personal autonomy, bondage. Let's get into it. So in 1991, Austin, Texas was not yet the bustling hipster metropolis it is today. I don't know if that stereotype is true because I've never been to Austin, Texas. I that, have never been to Austin. You know, that's the the general consensus, I think. I want to go when I go Yeah, if you're from Austin, let us know. Yeah, is it a hipster metropolis or is that a, a dated assumption? Um, but the point, in 1991, the population was a little more than 500,000 people. And today there are over a million people there. Oh my so. gosh, that's so many people doubled in like 25 years nothing too crazy happened very often in fact journalists doing a ride-along with the austin pd on the night of december 6th 1991 told the officer that nothing ever happened in austin but it was okay because they were going to go to houston the next night and they'd find something something crazy would happen there but oh how wrong they were a police officer patrolling the area noticed that i can't believe it's yogurt a yogurt shop, Froyo, was on fire. The fire department was dispatched, and as the firefighters were putting it out, they found four charred bodies inside. Not only were the majority of them burnt to a crisp, each of the bodies had a bullet hole through their head as though they had been executed. The manager of the shop, when she testified at trials much later, remembered that the bodies had no faces. Oh. Yeah. It's brutal to just think about that exact quote. That's why I was like, I'm going to say this because it's scary. Yeah, it's important. While they couldn't make out what they looked like, they could tell that these were girls. They were not adults. The bodies were identified as Sarah and Jennifer Harbison. Jennifer was 17 and Sarah was 15. Eliza Thomas was 17. And Amy Ayers was only 13 years old. Eliza and Jennifer worked at ICBY making $4.35 an hour. Jennifer's younger sister, I know, right? Can you imagine? Like, that used to be the minimum wage. When I started working in 2007 or 8, 
It was five thirty five an hour. That was minimum wage. That's what I made. I and made, gas was like four forty eight. Yeah, I <laughs> made sophomore year. I worked at a bowling alley and I made five dollars and eighty five cents an hour. And then I worked at good old Bill's Foods, and he graciously gave me six dollars and twenty cents an hour. Thank you so much for that, Bill. Um, that's just awful. Even in 1991, that's awful. The day of the fire, Jennifer had gotten out of school and went over to her boyfriend Sammy's house. Eliza, who was very involved in FFA, went to the barn to take care of her pig. And Sarah and Amy both got permission to have a sleepover after they went to North Cross Mall by themselves for the first time. Jennifer was also an FFA and so was Sarah. These were country girls through and through. I love it. But Jennifer and Eliza were friends. They'd both been nominated for FFA Queen. Eliza was very happy. She was excited about it. Um, And she was talking to her mom about it as she was getting ready for her 7 o'clock shift that night. Her mom offered to bring her a sandwich to work so she could have dinner. But Eliza was like, I'm not hungry. It's okay. I'm going to eat fro-yo because... (laughs) I'm going to eat fro-yo all night. That's what I do. (laughs) Jennifer and Sarah's mother dropped Sarah and Amy off. At the mall around the same time that Jennifer started her shift that night, which was around 8 o'clock. The mall was open until 9. Eliza got to work at 7. Jennifer got there at 8. They were both scheduled to close the store, and closing time was 11. But around 9 o'clock, Jennifer took a break. She drove her Chevy S10 truck to the mall, and she picked up her sister and Amy. The girls were going to go back to the yogurt shop and help the other girls close so that they could get out of there faster. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And then Jennifer was going to drive herself and Sarah and Amy back to their house for the summer party. At 11.03, a no sale was rung in, indicating that one of the girls, probably Eliza, had opened a drawer in order to count down the money that was inside. And as a former retailer of over a decade, a few things stuck out to me about this closing situation. Because uh, Eliza was kind of the one in charge, but there wasn't an adult there. There wasn't an adult manager there. They were both 17. Um, I know we, we talk about it's it's always decades, you know, mm-hmm. like it was a different time. But it's still strange to me that a business owner would entrust his business to two teenage girls who were on one of the busiest nights of the week on a Friday night. Seems yeah, that weird. is a little weird. I've never worked. I never worked somewhere like when I was a minor where when I closed, it wasn't. Like there was a, uh, I'm not going to say more mature adult, there, but just like an adult. By yeah, age. no, that was, I mean, again, early 2000s, 10 years after this happened. But when I would run my store, like you weren't allowed to have a manager that was under 18. You might be able to promote someone to like a key holder at 17, but they wouldn't be like allowed to close without yeah someone who is 18 year old that would make sense because you make a lot of money that's a big responsibility yeah so regardless you know not 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 my store um this was considered the safe part of town and these girls were really good kids um after this happened they sent a detective into all of their rooms to look for anything that might indicate that they were hanging out with sketchy dudes or maybe they were secretly into drugs but there was nothing they were, they were good there's nothing going on with these guys the fire was reported at 11:48 p.m. the officer who saw it first just assumed someone left a stove on they locked up and went home four fire units showed up they opened the front door with a crowbar a stove at a yogurt shop Exactly right, but I don't think he realized it was a yogurt shop. I think he just oh saw yeah, that would make sense. The yeah. fire and was like, oh, it's just a you know, um, imagine it as like a strip, almost in like an outdoor mall, and like there's oh, windows okay. and like doors, so it's like okay, one yeah, level, I... yeah. So you might not be able to know. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he's not a froyo fan. But the four fire units showed up and they opened the door at the crowbar, got on their hands and knees so they could get under the smoke and find the fire to put it out. One of the firefighters, Renee Garza, said that they found it and that they were putting out hot spots. And when he went to move into the hottest area where the fire likely started, he was moving in and the other firefighter, David DeVro, grabbed his shoulder and was like, is that a foot? 
Garza went outside and he told rescue that there were two bodies and they were kids. The bodies were nude. The rescue units wanted to go in and get them. They're like, we, we need to save them. But he stopped them because he knew that something was very wrong and there was no saving these girls. He went back into the building, kept moving through the remaining steam and smoke. And as he stepped into an area he thought a stove might be, he realized that this shop didn't even have a kitchen. But he did find a third girl who was also naked and burned to death. Officers could only walk in for a minute because of the smoke. Just to verify the information coming from firefighters, they didn't have fire equipment on. So they walked in, saw what they could see, and then immediately called a homicide detective, John Jones. And arson sucks because whatever evidence isn't completely burned away is washed away. destroyed with the water. Yep. Yep. So unless there's some random outside evidence, like you dropped a chocolate bar wrapper that you had your fingerprints all over right outside the door. I don't know why I went with chocolate bar wrapper. I just was just off the top of my head. But it's hard to figure out what happened. John Jones only looked at the crime scene photos once, he said, because the image of these girls became seared into his memory. They were stripped, bound, and shot point blank. At least two of the bodies had been stacked on top of each other before they were lit on fire. Their bodies became blackened and merged together. They were so far gone that you could barely tell them apart from the rubble and the blackness of the burned building. Except for Amy. Not entirely sure how, but Amy, the 13-year-old, had managed to survive when she was shot the first time. It It didn't kill her. And so she tried to crawl out the back of the building. She was the only one that was kind of recognizable because she was away from the hottest part of the fire. But it turned out the list of crimes that happened in the yogurt shop continued to stretch. Robbery, sexual assault, children, bondage, executions, arson, and zero witnesses. The estimated time of the fire starting was 1142, 39 minutes after Eliza had closed her drawer for the night. What had happened? A woman had been the last customer of the night. Her name was Lucella Jones. Lucella went into ICBY to get a strawberry sundae for her husband. He had had dental surgery. He could only eat soft stuff. He wanted a strawberry sundae. Um, and I kind of explained it. You know, it's I picture like a like a Starbucks or something where you open the double glass doors and you walk in. So you can see what's going on in there if there's lights on and it's at night. You can see through. So when Lucella walked in that night, she remembered that there were only two other customers. They were sitting at a table. She thought they were two teenage boys between 14 and 18, and they had kind of a hippie look about them. So probably just like longer hair. Yeah, just normal boys. Just normal boys with long hair. Who listened to Nirvana in the 90s. (laughs) She didn't think or recall that either of the boys had any food or frozen yogurt with them. She just saw them sitting at a table. What she did remember was that one of the boys had a bag and he was putting his hand into the bag and she said it kind of sounded like marbles. But years later, after thinking back over and over again about what might have happened, she thought maybe they were bullets in the bag. Eliza's own mother had gone to visit her during her shift. She showed up about 930 And while she was there, the phone rang. It was Jennifer's boyfriend calling her at work to make plans for the next day. Pre-cell phones. Call him at work. The younger girls had ran to a neighboring pizza shop and brought back a pizza that they were sharing at a table where the older girls were working. Between 9.30 and 10, a former military policeman, current security man, stopped into ICBY for a dessert. Once an officer, always an officer. Daryl Croft was able to recall that while he was in the shop, there had been a boy and a girl in a booth, a couple at the counter, and a lone young man between 18 and 22 in an army green jacket. He recalled something off about that kid. He was a regular at the yogurt shop, and when he stepped toward the young man, uh, the kid was like startled. He was like, oh, person. But then he looked at him and looked outside. He was like, is that your car with the lights on it? What are you, a police officer? Are you security? When you think this is like a young guy, he seemed very bold to just randomly ask questions like that. Yeah. And why would he care? Yeah, exactly. Aren't you just here for frozen frozen yogurt? Croft answered, he was like, I own a security company. 
The guy turned around, he ordered a can of Sprite, and then he walked to the end of the counter and went behind the counter. And that was weird to Daryl. So he got to the register and he asked Eliza about it. And he says that Eliza told him that the bathrooms weren't open to the public, but he had to go. So she just let him go. The law in Austin at that time, though, was that there had to be two public restrooms available for customers. So maybe it was just like a shop rule. Like we have them, but don't let people use them kind of thing. He shuffled around, kind of waiting to see if that kid would reemerge, but he didn't before he had to go again. And then the next day, that guy, Daryl, went to Houston. He went to Houston on Saturday. And when he returned Sunday, he saw the murders on the news and he immediately went to file a report. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Now, Maria, Eliza's mother, also around left. She left around that same time that Daryl did. And after she left, Eliza's dad and stepmom stopped in. But neither of them remember a guy in a green jacket. They were just there for like 15 to 20 minutes to say hi. I think it's weird that all like her whole family's just stopping in. How long has she worked there? It hadn't been very long. Just a so few maybe weeks. they were just like, like look excited. at you, your new job. That's so exciting. Like I hadn't you. thought that. I bet that is what it is. They yeah. were just like, do you need anything? Can I get you anything? Just yeah. seeing their baby. I'm going to go to my kids' work all the time. <laughs> if one of them work at fast food, they're cooking me dinner at least once a week. I'm just going to drive through the drive up and be like, hey, is he working? All right. Hey. I'll take a double double. Tell him, tell him to give me that mama special. There were lots of customers in and out of the shop that night, Friday night. A lot of them called after this had happened and they gave their accounts of what they say happened. Two regulars recalled seeing a man sitting in his white car right outside of the shop, not doing anything, just sitting. Another couple said they saw a white van that looked creepy between 1030 and 11. Another woman reported a kid on a skateboard around that same time. Oh, no, he did it. (laughs) Skateboard boy. It was skateboard boy. The general consensus was that there was a sketchy guy between 15 and 23 with longer hair. Could have been white, maybe Hispanic. That was the outline of who it had been. The last actual sale had been rang out at 1042 to a couple grabbing dessert after seeing a movie. They remembered that Jennifer had been wiping down the tables, Eliza was behind the counter, and the other girls weren't in the dining area. But when they went back through the building, the pizza box had been in the back, so it's kind of just assumed that they were back there washing dishes or helping them do closing stuff. The couple also noted there were two people in hooded jackets sitting across from each other in the booth closest to the cash register. They couldn't give him a description of how they looked. She just said, I thought they were men because they were larger. Um, But she was like, they were kind of leaning across the table, huddled together, and it gave the impression that they might have just been a couple. So she didn't, wasn't a good thing to go on, but. That was where the last people that she knew that had been in there. At 1047, the couple left. The woman felt uneasy leaving, but as soon as they were out the door, Jennifer followed behind, flipped the open sign to close, and locked the single lock, which is an unusual. Again, I worked retail. If people were in my store after closing, I would just casually let them know, like, hey, I'm going to pull the gate part of the way so people don't come in, or I'd pull it down and, like, I'll walk you out. No big deal. But because Eliza was pretty strict about the cleaning regimen, she she liked to follow the rules. And the shop manager could tell exactly when they had been interrupted by how closely Eliza followed like their closing checklist. She had been wiping down countertops. Jennifer's back was to the door while she attempted to clean the yogurt dispenser. And even though the fire had burned everything, There was a massive amount of blood at the scene, indicating that the girls had been shot dead before the fire had even started. The girls had to be identified by their car registrations, and their parents were informed after three in the morning. When uh, when Reagan was president, he launched the... Do you know? You know. The what? The war on drugs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I have big feelings about the war on drugs. Um, This is not the time and place. But when he did this big dumb thing, it also implemented the right to use federal resources in local crimes. 
So Jones, the head investigator, took this case and that right very seriously. They called in everyone they possibly could because of the state of the bodies. They were DNA swabbed at the scene, which is unusual. Um, normally they take them out and swab them elsewhere after they've been moved for by the medical examiner or by rescue. But they didn't want to lose even one tiny bit of evidence in transport or from water, from pipes or hoses. But for how concerned they were with the DNA evidence, the treatment of the rest of the crime scene will infuriate you. Mm. Bathrooms weren't dusted for prints. You know, bathrooms random dudes just walked into. No one went through the trash. There were tons of different people traipsing through the crime scene and there was no log dictating who was there and when they were there and what they were doing there. And a ton of evidence just disappeared. They thought that the fire started on these metal shelves and had um, accelerated so fast because of the cans that were sitting on the shelves. But all of those shelves disappeared. Uh, the lock on the back door was replaced and the old one never turned up again. I think just Austin didn't know how to handle a crime of this magnitude. And we see that a lot in, and it's not to discredit small town police officers because they're, they can be very great and very knowledgeable, but you become affluent to doing these. If you do them often, if you don't handle, if you've never seen a crime like this, of quadruple homicide it's yeah they said they had only seen maybe one arson murder before this ever yeah that's that's tough yeah the bodies um were transported and autopsied the next day they didn't do an accelerant test to see if maybe someone had sprayed something over their bodies to help them burn uh the cause of death was determined to be shot by another person and then the files were sealed to protect the integrity of the case But also, uh, a long time ago, they used to seal the records of people who'd been sexually assaulted to, quote unquote, protect them from shame. Uh, So that was one of the theories that went around why it was sealed so quickly. But they were also kids. The information that was not revealed to the public at this time, they didn't say where the fire started. They didn't say how much money was taken from the register, what the girls were bound with, the caliber of the guns used. And that two pairs of the girls' underwear were missing. Amy had a missing jacket. Amy had also been strangled and shot twice with two different guns. All of that stuff was quiet. Well, remember, she was the one who, like, started to get away. So I would imagine they probably took their anger out. At the funeral, three of the girls, Jennifer, Sarah, and Amy, were buried next to each other. And Eliza was buried closer to where her parents lived. They videotaped it in case the murderer turned up because, you know, they're psycho and they want to see. And everyone in Austin slowly went crazy. Every single person had an idea or knew someone who had done something sketchy that night. There was a lot of crack happening in Austin at this time and drugs in general. Like I know they said that this was the safe part of town, but there was like a lot of, it's 1991, acid, heroin, crack all over. Um, So that was a potential motive. But by January, a month later, they still didn't have anything. So Travis County brought in an FBI profiler. And this was the profile of the murderers that they think. The FBI thought that more than one person was involved. One of them had a dominant personality. The assailants are probably white, late teens to mid-20s. The person with the dominant personality uh, probably didn't finish high school. They would have been considered an underachiever, less than average grade. They resented discipline. Um, They probably have an explosive personality. They get really mad, especially if they're drinking or doing drugs. They're impulsive, uh, maybe working a menial job, but probably unemployed. History of changing jobs. They definitely live with a dependent in a dependent relationship with an older person, like a parent, uh, they were probably a frequent customer. They knew the streets, the neighborhood. Um, immediately after leaving the crime scene, the offenders would have gone to a secure location to clean up or change. Although the crime scene does not indicate that they would have a lot of blood on them. And they may have returned to the area that night to watch the police and fire departments. Or they may have left town. So they could have missed work the next day or miss school or something the next day. So these were the things they were like, hey, we need to be on the lookout for this. The only case that they could profile 
or compare it to to profile was the Atlanta child murders. Oof. So that we'll cover was, those at some point, and that's that'll probably uh, be a Patreon episode. Save the rough run, the rough ones for <laughs> for you guys. Uh, but that was like I said, Atlanta child murders. Those the most comparable case they could find to this one. That's how gnarly it was. Three months later, in March, forty eight hours did a special. Keith McDuff, another convicted serial killer, had abducted and murdered a woman in Austin the same weekend that the yogurt shop murders happened. Oh. So they were like, it's this guy. He, when he was on death row, he admitted to it. He was like, yeah, that was me. But it probably But he was never with anybody, right? He was always by himself? No, no. He did have accomplices. He actually had an accomplice to um, abduct and murder this woman. And he, that's how he got caught, was accomplice sold him out another episode though (laughs) it was a mess in general three months they had 485 tips and 800 suspects and then six months went by america's most wanted did a piece october came and two men were arrested based on one of the men looking like the person who had been sitting in the white car in front of the shop doing nothing that person that they arrested had kidnapped and sexually assaulted a woman at a club um actually they uh, arrested two guys and then a third fled to mexico and one of them admitted to it one of the guys had been arrested he's like yep that was me i did the yogurt shop murders he said he had killed three girls and cut them up and mutilated their bodies which wasn't what happened so they're like okay yeah chester (laughs) get the fuck out of here for real they uh they weren't responsible, but they did get tried for the club abduction and they went to jail anyways for being good assholes. At the exact time the yogurt shop murders were being investigated, the Austin Police Department was having a war within itself. It's like the time when cops were doing favors for money and sex and coke. They had placed a new chief of police that was a woman and they didn't tell them that they were going to place a woman. They just brought her in and cops were pissed because, you know, sexism. Uh, it was a hot mess. It's n- it's, I'm not really surprised that they weren't able to solve this case because they did not have their shit together in general. Yeah, you can't you can't solve a tough case if you don't have a well-oiled machine. Yeah. So four years go by 1995. They put a completely new task force on it. They added a new task force in addition to John Jones because he was still committed to solving it. He was still like the main guy. Uh, They added Paul Johnson, who was also hooked on solving the case. Uh, Johnson would go through every single tip they had, which was more than 2000 at that point. And for every tip, there was a report or a suspect. The suspect or the report would get a number. And if he found evidence or descriptions or a car that matched that suspect, it would go next to the number. And then they would conduct interviews based on the information that went with. He did that for seven months straight. Wow. And it's not real. It's really not for the faint of heart. No, no. That the report that ended up striking was uh, December 14th, 1991, one week after the murders at 6 p.m. 16 year old Maurice Pierce put a loaded 22 in his pocket. He had Got it from a 13-year-old that stole it from his dad. And he picked up his friend Forrest in his dad's car and they went to North Cross Mall. Same mall that Amy and Sarah went to. Well, some kid saw Maurice's gun and was like, I'm telling security. And security was like, what the hell? What are you doing with this? Why would you bring this to the mall? He was like, just to be carrying it. Which, personal opinion, that's like why I think 90% of people carry guns. Just to have it. (laughs) Never know. The security guard called APD picked up Maurice and Forrest, and they took him to juvie, um, and Pierce got charged with unlawful possession of a gun. And we've said it once, and we'll say it again. Again, 16-year-olds, not the sharpest tools in the shed. And they shouldn't have to be because they're children. Yeah, they shouldn't have to know how to not, you they know, how to get away with murder. Yeah, they, they shouldn't, shouldn't have be. to know how to talk to police. and Because, ugh. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. So while he's being interviewed, Pierce told the investigator that his 22 had probably been the gun that had killed the girls. Remember, they never revealed the size they of the never, gun. Yeah. So he's like, "Oh, it is a 22." 
According to him, he and his friend had gone down to the field where the ne'er-do-wells hang out around 10.30 that night. And at some point, Forrest borrowed his twenty two and went off with some other guys. And when Forrest returned, the gun had six shots fired, and he had a scratch on his neck, and he smelled like hairspray, insinuating that they had used hairspray to start. Forrest told Maurice that he had done something bad, and he wanted to do it again, to kill more girls. Earlier the day of the murders, Maurice had been babysitting his little sister. And then he hung out with his friends Rob Springsteen and Mike Scott. The same night of the murder, kind of like the early morning the next day after they had happened, uh, Maurice had taken Rob, Mike, and Forrest to San Antonio after he stole a Nissan Pathfinder from a parking lot and they didn't get caught. So what it looked like to them was like these kids had murdered some girls and then joy did a joyride to San Antonio. Rob had been reported missing by his dad on the night of December 6th. He almost never went to school. Mike was more of the same. They liked to pass time crushing beer cans and dropping acid and doing shrooms. <laughs> just being dumbass teenage boys with little supervision. And Forrest was pretty much just like Maurice's lackey. Maurice was the only one who had actually ever been in trouble with the law, but it was pretty much just for stealing cars. The day of the murders, they were briefly at school, then they went to the mall to watch girls, and then their stories all split. Maurice and Forrest go to the field, where Forrest takes the 22, blah, 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 you know. Rob and Mike say they went to go watch the Rocky Horror Shadow cast, but Mike couldn't get in. One says they partied, the other says they didn't. And they probably partied. I'd say so. But the next week after Maurice is questioned, Forrest isn't because instead we're like, we're going to mic you up. You're going to get him to tell us what he told you. So he did. But Forrest was like, dude, I was just kidding when I said that. And the boys went on with their life. Like he was like, he was just joking. He didn't even know that that had happened when he said like he wanted to kill some girls. Right. Okay. That that was all they got from the mic. Not that nothing had happened. He was like, I would never do something like that. What's wrong with you? And it put a real dent in their friendship. But they all went on living, kind of just brushed them to the side until 1997, when they put more fresh eyes on the case. So Forrest is 21, Maurice is 22, Rob and Mike are 23. They don't even talk anymore. They live in different cities. Maurice has a five-year-old and a wife. Forrest has a daughter with his girlfriend. Mike's married with a four-year-old and Rob's married too. 1997. So these are grown-ass men living their lives. But Johnson's looking over the case and he sees the report about Maurice with the 22 and he interviews him again. He straight up says, I know I made that statement. I honestly don't remember a lot of what I said because I was a kid. I was nervous. The police were twisting my words around, which is fair. Interviews the other guys and there's nothing there either. But then he interviews them again in 1998. He comes back and wants to talk to him again. Uh, and they still had the gun they seized from him that night, that 22. And they sent it to ballistics and it doesn't match anything. Like it definitively did not match the same ballistics pattern that the guns that killed the girls did. December of 1998, a weird call comes in from the former manager of ICBY. Seven years later. She said that she and Jennifer had been getting harass harassing phone calls for like a week before this happened. Someone had broken to the manager's house, arranged her underwear in a pile, and set a knife on top of them. So Johnson's like, okay, come in. We're going to interview you again. And she explained that there was a crawl space above the ceiling that connected the shops to each other. One night when she had gone to clean the bathroom, she saw footprints on the toilet seat and the ceiling tile had been moved, but she just used a broom to fix it. Yeah. I don't. I wish everyone could see my face. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what? Like, I mean, you're cult, cult, I understand if I if I had been in that position where I like walk in and like there were footprints on the seat, I would be like, that's weird. Why would someone stand on the toilet that's seat? That's what I'm thinking. Like, I wouldn't think that someone dropped in. I would be like, what the hell are these kids doing? Messing with my ceiling, standing <laughs> on the toilet. I hate my job. I hate working for minimum wage. <laughs> I hate making four thirty-five an hour. Yes, I'm with you. That's what I think was the consensus there also. She fixed it. But for some reason, this story, they makes him go back to Maurice again, specifically. Uh, 
and actually they interview one of Rob Springsteen's old girlfriends. They legitimately baited her with questions and made her super uncomfortable. <laughs> Comfortable. She did pretty <laughs> she did pretty well anyways. Um the final question what that they asked her was if Maurice Pierce had done something of all of the boys, who would he talk to? And her answer was Mike Scott. And this girl was third trimester about to pop pregnant. <laughs> like what the so hell? she was in there for hours getting questioned and then she's also super pregnant. You know, it sucks when you're super pregnant like that. And after she leaves on the video that because they had to record the interview, you can hear the detective say, hate to be too rough on her. And then the other one goes, if she starts fucking bleeding in here, that's our ass. And I just thought that was gross. Like it doesn't it's not even relevant to the case information I'm giving you. But you I think it just shows how hard they were questioning her and how much they were baiting her into trying to get answers from her. And I mean, I'm going to assume they don't have children because at that point, her water would probably break. It's not like she's just going to gush blood. Yeah. I mean, I know you can. <laughs> I am but... not She's not going to gush blood. She's just going to give birth right there in the interview table. 1999. We're all the way there. They still are like, it's Maurice. So they go talk to Mike for 10 hours. By the end of it, they have convinced Mike that he knows something. And they did that by using the read technique. And the read technique of interrogation is essentially you accuse the person of what they, of what you want them to admit. And you say, come on, man, we know, we know mm -hmm. it happened. We know so that they get comfortable enough with the idea of it and they start to question themselves and then they confess, right? And that technique is illegal in the U.S., no, it's legal in the U.S. It's illegal in like a bunch of other countries, mm -hmm. mostly in Western Europe. Legitimately, one of the quotes from the interview is, I'm scared I have information and I don't know I have information. That is what Mike says in his interview. But inevitably, he confesses. And I feel awful for Mike in this situation because you can, just reading like the script, you can see how insanely he was manipulated just totally tortured uh he was arrested in september of 1999 for the yogurt shop murders and then they did the same thing again to rob springsteen and they got rob to confess to raping amy after many hours they used the same technique and then they went to forrest next but forrest the interview only lasted 25 minutes and he was just like no i didn't do this nope nope i don't know what you're talking about but on October 6th, they still arrest all four men. Pierce, Springsteen, uh, Wellborn, and, <laughs> and Mike. So they arrest them all with no forensic evidence. They were just going on these coerced confessions that these men had totally blacked out on until they were questioned nine years later, even though they had been questioned like once a year for the last five years. Forrest made bail. The other three sat in jail for three years. Three years? Mm-hmm. Pre-trial started in 2000. Um, it was actually the end of 1998 when that happened. Okay, I have to say this. I'm pissed off here for two reasons. One, I'm getting a lot of West Memphis 3 yeah, with, it's... with this whole thing. And that makes me – I have goosebumps right now because this makes me so sick. And two, because these girls, their poor parents think that they have found their children's murderers for it, it is to be trash. It is awful. Yeah. And the you're right. And these um like Eliza's mom was just broken, which yes, I would be too. I get it. Um and then Amy Ayers's parents were total advocates. They were like the ones doing sound bites. They were uh her mom said that she wanted to be the voice for the girls because they didn't have them anymore. And they were at front row every single trial. I have chills. They moved back. Like they had moved slightly out of Austin to like Blanco and they moved back specifically to do this. Um, Pre-trials. They started in March 2000, went on till the next year. Trials didn't begin until 2001 for Springsteen. And then Scott's trial didn't start until 14 months after that. And the other two. And they all have kids. The other two, Maurice and Forrest, um, they didn't go to trial. Their charges were dropped because you're picking up There's what no I'm putting down. They did not do it. Uh, 
but they sat there until 2000. Well, Pierce sat there. Uh, Forrest's grandmother cleared out her pension, like $37,000 to get him out of jail. I would sue the fuck out of them. It's It never gets better, this whole thing. There's not like any kind of like... Justice for anyone? For any, all eight of these children as they were. So, you know, those first two, uh, Mike and Rob, they confessed, quote unquote. And then they recanted, but they still used their confessions. They were still allowed to use their confessions in trial. And the trials were a circus. So I'm just going to kind of cut to the outcome because it was just over and over. Rob Springsteen was convicted and sentenced to death for the murder of Amy Ayers on May 30th, 2001. And Michael Scott was sentenced to life because the jury couldn't agree on the death penalty on June 6, 2002. So they go to prison. And then in 2006, Rob's conviction gets overturned because the Texas Court of Appeals ruled that his confession had been improperly used as evidence against him and violated his Sixth Amendment right. In 2007, they were like, well, we did it for him. We have to do it for Mike, too. So guess what? They start prepping for retrial again. They're going to try these guys again. But this time, they were able to run additional DNA testing because now it's 2007, you know? We have had time. And what did they find? Nothing. They found DNA from two different men on the clothes that the girls had been bound with and a partial DNA match of a third person. And none of those people were any of those boys. Not one of them. They have wasted so much time on the wrong people a decade yeah west memphis three like it's and i get you want to solve the case so bad you want justice for these girls so bad but you can't and part of the issue was the trial too they had a judge and the judge he was a he's a good judge but he wanted this whole thing to be done with so he just kept trying to rush stuff and like he he blew it He blew up big time. But Mike and Rob got released in June of 2009 and their charges were dropped. But initially, you remember that the plan was to get Maurice Pierce. They were like, he's the guy. But they went with the only two that they could get to confess. And Maurice wasn't squeaky thing. He had the thing for cars. He stole them and drove them. And he was still technically a suspect. Police said that they were all still suspects, even after they were all exonerated. He's like, no, they're still suspects. And they lived in Austin. So, like, Maurice was never really able to escape that scrutiny. And he thought that the police were still after him. He always felt like he was being followed and watched. In 2012, he ran a stop sign and he got pulled over. Well, they tried to pull him over. He was being evasive. And then when he did stop, he got out and ran. The cops caught up to him in a backyard and tried to tase him. Pierce grabbed the cop's knife and slashed him with it. And that officer shot and killed Maurice Pierce. And they don't know why he fled, but I would argue that it was because PTSD. the last time, yeah, yeah, the last time he talked to cops, he was sitting in jail for three years. And after that, in 2008, he got pulled over for speeding, and the officer was like, "Why are you so nervous?" He said, "I've been accused of a lot of things I'm not responsible for." And then the officer was like, "Well, you have a warrant," so he just peeled out and left. And then two weeks later, they found him, and he quote unquote, violently resisted. So they tased him and put him in jail for another year. And his defense, uh, she said that those, the instance where he was arrested for violently resisting, it was very clear that the Travis County justice system still assumed that he had something to do with the yogurt shop murders because they were going to give him a plea bargain of 30 years or life in prison for resisting arrest. And she was like, had that been anyone else? they probably just would have gotten probation with like check-ins. And for the girls, that case has still not been solved. The attorney general of Texas said that they're going to launch um, this year. They announced they're going to lo- launch a state level cold case unit for the 19,000 cold cases in Texas currently. And it's estimated that 82% of those cold cases have not used DNA testing or genealogy to help solve any of them. So hopefully they, They said they just don't have the manpower to do it. That's so unfortunate. Yeah. I have no words. I know. This case is a bummer. I feel bad for these guys, you know. Do we know how much they stole? We still don't know that. The money? 
I honestly didn't even note the money because I, I, if I remember correctly, it was like less than 20 bucks. It was, there was like no money in the register. I don't think it was about the money. No, I don't either. I think that they had been stalking those girls and that worked there. They probably Another didn't girl plan was on their a, sisters being there. No, I don't think they did at all. And uh, Eliza wasn't actually supposed to work that shift that night. So I honestly think they were stalking Jennifer. I don't know. But that's my speculation. But then the too- sisters and Eliza and all of them, yeah. My heart is so sad. Yeah, it's all. And I'm so sad that they wasted so they wasted so much time on the wrong people. And just the way, like I am, I am heartbroken for those girls and their families, and I am heartbroken for these guys and their families. Like they had children and wives and parents that were all sitting there at the same time and just sucks i'm so bummed about this yeah amy's brother did like a soundbite within the last couple of years that was like you know a lot of time has passed so we know that we're not we know that this case isn't at the forefront of anyone's or the justice system's brain but hopefully that the day i mean they have three dna profiles one day they're gonna pop it's gonna happen I'm I just have a hard time thinking that this is the first crime that whoever committed this did. No way. There's no way. That's why when I saw the Keith McDuff thing, I was like, maybe, but But obviously they would have his DNA. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also he had he had been stalking that other woman that he ended up abducting I out just, of a car wash. You do not go from never you don't escalate even on the basic scale of escalation when you're like okay this criminal this you don't go from stealing cars to murdering murder rape arson burning down a building yeah yeah i with the lights on in like a very public area yeah is that you said there was a lot of drugs in the area well in austin at the time and i mean Early 90s. Pretty much everywhere in the yeah. 90s. Heroin, crack. Um, those those guys specifically, Mike and Rob, talked about how they like dropped acid and did mushrooms. And the field that I said that Forrest and Maurice went to, it was called the fungus. That's what they called the field. But they also said that I guess skinheads would hang out down there and like sell acid and stuff. And that was, I just called them ne'er-do-wells. But... That's what it was quoted as. And, you know, it could have been someone just like toe up, but I doubt it. It was too organized. Yeah, you usually don't. Even like when people like go crazy off like PCP and stuff like that, it's chaotic. It's not calculated. It's yeah, it's not. Ugh. And it, it's obviously more than one person because there's two different guns. Not mm-hmm. that like three DNA profiles. Yeah. And not and like I said, not that one person couldn't shoot two different guns, but not at four girls. I would just imagine if it was only one person, one of they, them would have gotten out the back door. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Their Depends kids, on how quick it was. Yeah. And they called at ten forty nine or something and the they estimated the time was like ten forty seven. So the fire hadn't been going long, but that just shows how like hot it was and how crazy the fire was. I feel like they you didn't would have test got... for an accelerant. And I know they said they just said that it probably accelerated so quickly because of the combustibles on the shelves. Oh, yeah. The whipped cream and everything would have been like, <sighs> I have no theories. I'm not. I don't. Well, I, how could you? There's no there's nothing to go on. That's why they're so desperate to get these. And also the state of the police, you know, force in general. They just wanted a win, I think. You're like, whatever, we'll do whatever we have to do to get it. I feel like there should be more repercussions when you've done that. When you've go through so much to convict the wrong people. I read in um, Texas. I don't know if this is true because I just briefly glossed over it. But that if you are falsely like incarcerated and you find to be like exon, you become exonerated completely. They essentially pay you $80,000 a year for the time that you were in jail as they should but yeah, that doesn't money's not going to get back the memories and you that's the with thing. your kids or the stigma when 
your name, you apply for a job and they're like, wait a second, I've seen this name. You would have to move out of the state. They did. I think the other ones did. Yeah. Um, but they're not technically exonerated. They weren't, they were released and their charges were dismissed, but they are still considered suspects. How? I, mean, I don't I would... know. <laughs> the DNA. The DNA, the bullet, like all of it. Just, there's no mm. way. Mm. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah, that was a bummer one. You're welcome. Happy Wednesday, friends. I'm going to. Unhappy Wednesday. Man. No, I don't think I'm ever going to let my kids have jobs. Thank you for that because I live in a safe town. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, I never had a job as a teenager. I didn't have a job till I was like over 18. I, I, I detasseled I detasseled corn for two years. I dabbled with work. I worked at a bowling alley. Maybe I, I want a job. <laughs> I, uh, my senior, like the big summer of senior before senior year, my parents got me my new car. So the thing was I had to work. So I worked at Sears. I forgotten that you worked at Sears. Yes. It was horrible. I just remember like walking in and just seeing you like there in your flats and you're mm -hmm. like capri black leggings. Just like, yep. Just working. Yeah. And like, I think had I, I don't like asking people to apply for credit cards because it's not something I particularly agree with. No, it's the worst. I would And not. then watching, because they would tell me retail secrets here, guys, if you've never worked at Sears, if they get denied, no like does start, anymore. yes, true. If you, <laughs> if you get denied for the big credit, like start with the MasterCard or whatever, and then be like, oh, well, you maybe you could get the Sears card. Now I know that is horrible to someone's credit just to run it, run it, run it, run it. And I uh, I did my two credit apps, up, like a shift, and that was it. And it was so awkward. My very first shift, I was covering lunches, and they made me go to the tool section. <laughs> and I, if you knew me, I had like this is your Bob, your this pearls, is Bob, Bob <laughs> pearls, dark eye makeup. I was selling tools. <laughs> <laughs> no, luckily none of the stores I ran had credit cards. Well, that's not true. I worked at a Pack Sun. I ran a Pack Sun for a little bit, and they did, but I never. I I don't think I signed anyone up. That's probably why I stopped working. <laughs> it's insane. It's, uh, now I'm bummed. I know. And I'm also bummed thinking about that haircut and my pearls. Yikes. Do you think I should post that picture? Sure. <laughs> we'll post it at the very end of our, our little scroll through. You can see us. You can see us how we looked when we talk about our hot, our hot mess express days. I, uh, man, I thought I could be. A scene girl without being a scene girl because I didn't want the commitment of like teasing your hair every day. Yeah, I didn't want that. <laughs> I still don't want that commitment to like when I think of hair, like when I get my hair done, I'm like, oh, I need the least amount of work. I need to be able to wake up and, and just leave. Yes. Yep. That is why I don't get my and hair done. And I just, I have these cheekbones. I can't do short hair. And every time I cut my hair short now as an adult, I'm like, the last time I think I cut it like that was I was pregnant with Lily and I chopped it. And I, that was almost three years ago and I still regret it. I chopped mine and I don't regret it because it's hot and it needed it, but needed it. Did I say that right? Mm -hmm. Needed. Okay. I don't know why I missed out on that very basic word in my brain for a second, <laughs> but it's still like, man, I miss just being able to throw it in a ponytail. That's the thing I miss the most. I have it now, but there's like 14 clips in the back. <laughs> you can't see them all holding up the baby hairs. I started going gray prematurely, probably because as big of an asshole as I was growing up. This is my karma. Every time you were an asshole, you got a gray hair. Yeah. So now my hair is like gray. And that's been my biggest thing is like I pull it up and then I can see my like rogue stripe that I have. Only now it's like peppered all through my hair man it makes me jealous too because i want i would i want that i want to go like i want it to start going and when it does i'm just gonna let the whole thing go I've i've always wanted I... white hair i just think white hair is so cool i know i just 
don't have enough to do that. I have just enough to be as annoying as I was as a child (laughs) and teenager, like just really freaking annoying. And it's just, I'm, I was so stressed out about like, they tell you when you're like in the process of buying a house, don't, you know, don't make a lot of big purchases, you know, whatever. And it's expensive to get your hair done. And I try, I, I mean, for years, Meg and I died, Meg dyed my hair for years. I dyed my own hair, box black. And I finally, 20 years later, have all of that out, I think. So <laughs> it took 20 years. <laughs> so I can't, I physically cannot do it myself. So I've just been like kind of letting it go. And it's, it is yeah, what it is. I can't, I just look hairstylists, those people who do hair, barbers, whoever you are, you deserve to be paid for the job that you do. But I am unwilling to pay you to do that job to me. I just can't do it. I cut my own hair. I don't even dye it anymore. It's too much work. I dyed it the pink and I've given up on that too. I will pay you all of the money. I will sit in your chair. Actually, I have one girl that I go, I, the girl that I go to, I drive an hour and a half all the way back to Indiana. I let her do my hair. She's amazing because I was paying triple here in Dayton for like, you know. I remember when you told me how much you were getting your hair done for in Dayton. I was like. <gasps> yeah. And my girl now is amazing. She does everything I ask her to. She took me all the way blonde. And at my next visit, I was like. I think I want to go back dark. You were that guy. You were that guy. That's where I'm sitting at now. I think I want to go back blonde. And it's the guys listening right now are like, shut this bitch up. (laughs) But (laughs) shut her down. But you you could do like an ashy blonde and then just start blending your gray in. I know. I'm never going to talk you into it. Uh uh. (laughs) My husband's like, dude, I kind of like, like, I like it. And I'm like, you shut your mouth. Like, you don't know style. You know nothing. That's why you look the way you do. He, (laughs) no one knows what my husband looks like other than Meg and like the people who listen that know us. He had, my husband has thick curly hair. He used to have thick curly hair. He started like thinning on the They're pretty curls though. They're like. He, but it's, he's realizing just like it is with our daughter, curly hair, all of our curly hair listeners, like you guys are. It, I know it's like a whole thing to keep it. We know keep it's the hard for you out it's there. It's <laughs> so hard. And it's been humid. Like, I feel you, my thoughts and prayers. Bless. I'm with you guys. I don't Hashtag have to deal with it, but I got my husband and my daughter have like insane curly hair. But he got so sick of messing with it that he went today and cut it all off. He did? He has no hair. Like, it's short like the boys like it's and he got one of those manscaping like face trimmers because he had like a lumberjack beard which I'm like 10 out of 10 into he put the wrong guard on and (laughs) he shaved his beard (laughs) what a dork that's hilarious rough he's like hey you said you like my scruff and I was like yes you look amazing that would make Zagat sorry that would make your husband a different person like I'll have to show you a picture of him. <laughs> yeah please do i would love He's, to laugh at that tonight yeah so thanks for that and i hope you like listening to us talk about hair and we'll post a picture of us i think we were that was summer 16? i had just got, no we were older than that because i had just gotten my yellow cobalt my hoe car your hoe car Ooh, my me. husband told me that all the hoes and i know he should be talking like that but he was like what did you drive in high school? And I was like, well, my first couple cars were eh, at best. I had a Cavalier Mercury Sable. And then when we blew the head gasket on that one again, they got me a yellow Cobalt. He's like, that's a whole car. And I was like. He asked me what kind of car I drove in high school. What kind I, of car? I didn't. I rode in people's cars. I didn't even get my license until I was like almost 18 years old. You drove my cars a lot. Yeah, illegally with my my learner's permit. (laughs) You would drive us home from parties at Ball State. I'd be like hammered in the, sorry, mom. I'd be like hammered in the passenger seat and you'd be driving like, all right, Connie, just hang out. You're going to be fine. You're going to make it. We're going to get there. 
We're never gonna get it. <laughs> teeth busted out, and that's one of my favorite moments. <laughs> Not because you busted your teeth out, because my brother, my brother was in the back seat, just going, "No, no person, you're a beautiful person. Those teeth don't even matter." And I was just like, "Oh my god, these people." <laughs> <laughs> 17 guys <laughs> 17 we went to a party at ball state it was one of the last ones i went to for this and reason we walked to the hot dog man who's this old man who stood on the side with carter like, so just the hot dog man he was the shit obviously meg and i like you're not supposed to be walking around when you're 17 hammered but i did meg was back at the house and i was just like boys so i'm gonna go hang out with them and get some hot dogs <laughs> so funny <laughs> i was with you i was there i didn't, I, I didn't remember you being i thought i was we behind i watched it happen in slow motion i was like oh I remember, no like i ran up to this guy that like we'd been friends like we've been friends with these kids for years i walked up like ran up behind him i pretended to you know, like sweep the feet and then I ran in front of him, like just a little yog, and he did it to me. And instead of just letting me fall, he tried <laughs> to catch me. And the instead, he flipped your face into the concrete. <laughs> yeah, he had my arms, and I looked like a dolphin. Just <laughs> I hit the concrete so hard, I sat up, and <laughs> my teeth were knocked out. My, it was only like one. half of one just diagonal across the front. I was just like, oh no. There was blood everywhere. Fun fact, I later needed a septoplasty because I broke my nose when I fell naturally. There was so much blood. It was so oh my god. So and Connie worst- crying, a little drunk in the front seat while I drive her car home and my brother in the backseat telling her how beautiful of a person. <laughs> and the worst part was my lip was so cut on the inside. I probably needed stitches, you but I absolutely was, needed stitches, but I was drunk. So we couldn't go home. Like I couldn't go to my house. So I went to Megan's house and slept it off. And I woke up and my face was black and blue. And my tooth was gone. And I had to go Tell my parents that I fell skateboarding off of Megan's porch. And my mom's like, you can't skateboard. And I was like, you're right. I'm never going to again. But karma, because I got lumineers put across the front of my teeth because this is 2007. And like those don't last very long. So I had to pay. Adult Connie paid. And I paid like $5,000 for four veneers in my front teeth. That I'm so now you know Connie's teeth are fake. (laughs) Yay! But yeah, that's our that's the funniest thing that ever happened to me at a party because I just remember standing up and them going, "Oh shit, her tooth's gone!" (laughs) And then everybody tried looking for it. I remember them like on the like looking around (laughs) on the ground, and I was just like, "That thing's gone, Connie. Let's go. We gotta go. No hot dogs tonight, my friend." (laughs) I just. He should have let me fall. Like if I would have caught myself. I think he I think he thought he was gonna catch you. Yeah, but he, I just <laughs> dead fished it. It was just like <laughs> and just all of the force. It was like a like I hit so hard. I swear, I I it replays in my brain in <laughs> slow motion. I will never forget it. It's like a movie that I've seen a hundred times. I just like just him catching you and then you going straight down and just me being like, oh, God. <laughs> the funniest part of that is like I was kind of talking to a guy at the time and he texts me, to, you know, like a hey, you up text. Thought we were going to meet up. But I was like, dude, you didn't hear. I got my teeth knocked out last night. <laughs> Oh, uh, no, uh, no, no. We tried to, we kept that on the low, low. Mm-hmm. It was bad. Good. You guys ushered me the fuck out of there. Like, <laughs> like, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. 
But luckily the mouth is like one of the fastest healing things because I 100% like I definitely needed stitches. I had I, re- I had blood everywhere. You know, I think we're forgetting that because we were 17, that would have made my brother 15. <laughs> I know. I just thought about that. He was my hype man, though. He's yeah. always kind of been my hype man, though. He is, he's, a little, he's a sweet little baby. Oh, man. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that if you're still sticking around. And if you are... Have a good day or a good night, whatever time it is, wherever yeah, you are. Yeah, I guess it kind of plays back to... It circled around to the future tooth fairy (laughs) don't worry we'll handle those veneers in a couple of years no problem wait at least 18 months thank you so much for listening to gruesome horrific true crime we love you beautiful strangers and if you love us too and you'd like us to keep putting out ad-free content here are some of the ways that you can help support gruesome You can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us, and you get a I-knew-them-before-they-were-famous moment. Follow Gruesome Podcast on Instagram and talk to us on our posts. Engage with us. We love to hear from you there. If you'd like to send a donation, we have a Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and to gain access to exclusive Patreon perks. If a one-time donation is more your thing, you can find our Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and our PayPal using our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether or not that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, And on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.